All right. Good morning, CBC. Coming through. That's good. Hey, uh, in case we haven't met, my name is Chris Campbell, and uh, sort of a hometown boy, grew up southern part of Harrison County, founder and director of a ministry called Generation Freedom. We work in under the greater canopy of Freedom in Christ Ministries International USA. We're uh, headquartered out of Knoxville, but my wife and my two daughters and I, we make our home here in Harrison County. I do Christian counseling with Resolutions uh, Counseling Incorporated over just off of I-79 Meadowbrook exit there. And uh, for years, uh, was a part of a local church on staff here here in Harrison County, family ministry, youth guy, and uh, had just some precious times partnering with Clarksburg Baptist Church, just forging some very precious uh, friendships. And it's been neat to move back into the area and to reconnect. And uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is longtime friend, big time fan of what CBC has traditionally stood for in this community and in the area. So I was uh, humbled a couple of months ago uh, to come and to uh, fill the pulpit that extent. Uh, uh, invitation was extended to me, and evidently I did not Charlie Brown it uh, because I got I got another invitation to be back. So uh, so it's a privilege to be with you today. And uh, what I want to do uh, when I get to travel and speak at, at different churches, I really love to center in on just sort of the fundamentals of faith that we need to be stirring within ourselves, that we need to be cultivating as far as you know our connection with God, and not just a a one. One time I prayed a prayer and now I've got sort of a ticket to get, you know, into uh, heaven one day. But what does a journey with God look like, right? And how is it that we can grow in our closeness to him? And what does he want to see happen through our lives? What is the healing that he desires to take place? And more than the rescue and the identity that he instills in, that, in us, what is the mission that we have individually and collectively? And so today we're going to talk about faith. Now, if you were here a couple of months ago, we tapped into that. And what we tried to do was, was sort of demystify the idea of faith, to take it out of this abstract, you know, cross your fingers, hope for the best, and really drill down to say, well, what is biblical faith? And if you were here, how many of you guys were here for that, by the way? Oh, it's quiz time. You just confessed you were here. Um, so we, we said, listen, the first thing that you've got to know about faith is that it's really counterintuitive. Biblical faith is counterintuitive. It's backwards to the way we're taught in our culture because we grow up in a culture that says seeing is believing, right? And God says, no, 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 that's not the way that faith works. Instead, believing is seeing. And the way we sort of come into an understanding of that is that there are three components of faith that have to be in place if you're going to see it rewarded. And the first thing that we said that faith depends upon, anybody remember, was the faith object. The faith object. Who or what do you put your faith in? We made the argument that Sunday that the ultimate faith ob object is Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, 8 says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He'll never fail you. He's the omni-everything. And the second thing we said about faith and whether or not it's going to be rewarded in your life, what constitutes biblical faith is it's not just dependent upon the object being Jesus, but it's also dependent upon your knowledge of that object. 
because I meet people a lot of times, especially in the counseling setting, and they, have, they are deeply disappointed and hurt in an injustice that they feel that God has, uh, has, has extended towards them. And they, they tell me every time, I put my faith in Jesus and God failed me. But when you explore their understanding of who Jesus is and who God is, you quickly realize that they have an unrealistic expectation based on a false notion of God that doesn't match up to his holiness and who he is. So whether or not our faith is rewarded depends on the object, who is Jesus, and our knowledge. Romans ten seventeen says that faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. And the third thing that we said about faith that needs to be in place if it's going to be rewarded in your life is that faith is essentially an action word, an action word. There will come a point in your life, in my life, where God will want to prove himself to be true in the things that we are believing about him. And so therefore, he will lead us into spaces that are beyond our control, that are beyond our immediate understanding, just to say, trust me. Trust in what I have revealed. James 1.22 says, hey, listen, don't just be hearers of the word, but be what? be doers. And I want to I go back into this idea of faith being dependent upon the object, the knowledge of the object, and doing, you know, being the action word, is because the thing that, that I really love about faith is that God has given us this discipline, this practice, in order to ignite grace in our lives. Did you ever think about that? Faith is the mechanism that ignites the grace of God like every time, every time. And when we talk about grace in Christian circles, we are talking about God's unmerited favor. But more than that, more than God's favor and blessing and protection and provision, catch this, God's grace is the empowerment to be transformed. And we need that in our lives, yes? We need his favor, absolutely. We need his forgiveness, his cleansing. But more than that, grace ushers in the power to transform our lives. And we see this right from the beginning. Ephesians 2, 6, and 8 spells out the essentials of Christianity. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And what happened at a moment of faith, when you made Jesus Christ your faith object, you put your trust and received the gospel, and what you understood would be the confession of your sin. You shed that. God gives you his righteousness. That act of obedience, according to the scripture, gave you new life eternal life. Your old nature, that old sin, sinful part of you was severed and cut away forever, and God downloaded eternal life right on the spot. But that wasn't meant to be a one-and-done deal, because the scripture also tells us in Colossians 2.6, the apostle Paul says, listen, just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord by grace through faith, so walk in him. And the promise is, as you and I grow in our faith, we will continue to see grace ignited in our lives. And can I just speak from the heart just for a moment and just say, folks, we need to see the ignition of grace today more than any other time. I mean, on a personal level, I hear of more struggles with just people who are 
aching and hurting and facing challenge after challenge and trial after trial. You move out into the communities beyond the families and you just see some of the things that our area of the world undergoes. You know, we, we've just seen another natural disaster come into the state. Some of us here are old enough and lived here 30 years ago when we saw it hit our community here. That it can, that those type of unexpected disasters can upset a life and throw you into a time of trial like nothing else. You know, I can tell you from a counseling standpoint, I work with the West Virginia Attorney General's Office. I work with West Virginia Civil Liberties Task Force. Uh, This state has a huge drug problem, right? Prescription drugs, opiates, heroin. If I said, hey, how many of you this morning, your life has been touched you know, in a very negative way because of, of drug addiction. 90% of us in the room, including me, you, you have your hands up, right? All kinds of health issues, economic issues, everything's just by a, you know, just by a thread. Things can turn upside down in a second. We see that even with the natural gas and oil industries, right? It can be a struggle. On a, on a, my heart has been so grieved over the last a few years, months, but especially over the last week at the evidence that there is such a racial division in our country that we cannot get healed. And it, and it tears at my heart. I, 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 I had to turn the TV off this week because I was so overcome with emotion that we just can't see seem to get any sort of a healing and traction and moving forward. After hundreds of years, we can't get this right. And we just came through a season where Ramadan ended, right? And that's where the jihadists and, and, and Islam extremists were, were just, just concentrating, you know, in terrorist acts to, to invoke some sort of fear, to impose some sort of will. And it has us off-centered in all kinds of ways, anxiety high, looking over our shoulder. And here's the, here's the interesting thing in all of this. Our God, in his sovereign wisdom, has chosen not to bubble wrap any of his kids. God has chosen not to insulate his people from experiencing trials and trouble and pain. Amen? If you've been to the southern part of the state, when those waters rose and came through those towns, there was not a miraculous parting and the Christian homes were spared, right? But I think one of the reasons that is is because God understands that as people of faith, learn to walk by faith and are strengthened in their faith, it gives us the opportunity to ignite the fires of grace throughout the world, throughout our communities and our families. And it is is a way for us to be conduits of God's favor and empowerment to be transformed. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look in a creative way at a snapshot of Jesus' life that testifies to the way that faith is rewarded and the way that faith has this incredible ability to ignite the grace of God right on the spot. When you came in this morning, each of you should have gotten a bandana. Did everybody get one of these? If you didn't, slip up your hand and we'll get you one. And what I want you to do, I'm going to show you a little trick here with a bandana that you'll be able to do. I want you to get it and I want you to unfold it. And you're going to sort of hold it by the top corner here. 
going to be real simple, I promise. So hold it by the top corner here. If you need a bandana, just slip up your hand and we'll get you one. So what you're going to do is you're going to, you're, going to make, uh, you're going to make a fold that brings that point right down to the middle of the bandana. And then you're going to fold it once more like that. And you're going to fold it once more like that. And then the last fold, you should bring it, should, should look something like this, right? And what you've done is what you have, you've taken that bandana and you've actually transformed it into a blindfold. Oh my, someone says. And as an act of faith this morning, I'm going to ask you to put your faith in me in just a small amount. And what I'm going to do is I am going to ask you to temporarily, as many of you who will cooperate with me this morning, I'm going to ask you to temporarily surrender your eyesight to me. Because we're going to, in our minds, hear the story of a blind man along the side of the road in Jericho. His name was Bartimaeus who had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And my suspicion is that many of you in this room are very familiar with that story. You've heard it different times. Learned it in vacation Bible school. Maybe you've taught it yourself different times. But there is something so powerful about that story. And what I want to do this morning is let's, let's defy convention a little bit. And with a freshness, let's step into this story in an imaginative way. I just, I promise you, there's no funny business going on. Uh, there's going to be several leaders around that will not have blindfolds on. Uh, if you have a child in the nursery or if you have a, a, a child in, the, in a children's ministry, if there's an issue... Somebody will come, they will tap you on the shoulder. If that happens, it's not the Holy Spirit. You need to, <laughs> you need to just take off your blindfold and just sort of, you know, make your, make your way out. Uh, but, but I'm going to pray, and as many of you who will participate uh, while I'm praying, put that blindfold on, and we'll, we'll jump into our teaching time here this morning. So, uh, Father, we do come to you, and Lord, we thank you for grace. And we thank you, Lord, that somehow you have in perfect tension harnessed your sovereign grace to the free will exercise of faith. I can't understand that, but Lord, we love how those two things are held in perfect tension. And this morning, Lord, we want to be people of faith, and we want to go deeper in our faith so that we might see grace ignited in the areas that we need it most, both on an individual and personal level and collectively as a community of faith here. And Lord, we thank you and we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, illuminate your word in a fresh way today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So listen to this story. The scripture records in Mark chapter 10, verse 46, that Jesus and his entourage were on the road traveling and they came into the city of Jericho. And he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and with a great crowd. And there Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and scolded him and told him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. 
And Jesus stopped. And he said, call him. And those around called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now I want you to think for a moment and I want you to imagine what it would be like to roll in here on a typical Sunday morning to get your cup of coffee and to have a conversation with some of your friends and to find your way into the sanctuary and sit in your normal pew in your normal space and as the service begins you sing with a full heart of gratitude and you sit and you listen to announcements and inevitably you're asked to bow your head and close your eyes as you're led in a congregational prayer and at the end of that prayer with the standard amen with everybody else around you you lift your head up and you open your eyes and for the first time in your life nothing happens nothing so you blink your eyes and try it again and nothing happens and maybe you blink a little harder up down up down up down open shut open shut open shut and there is still nothing but darkness and so you go for the full hard reset so you close your eyes tight and you rub and rub and you wait a few minutes and you open them again and at this time panic begins to set in because you realize that in a moment something has happened that will alter your life you've lost your sight now if you were blinded today how would your life change tomorrow what would become of your sense of independence, let's say? How much of what you do in your job depends upon your ability to see? If you lost your sight today, is there a good chance you'd lose your job tomorrow? If you're a homemaker, if you're a nurturer, a manager in that area, if you lost your sight, would you still be able to provide the care and attention for your home, for your children, and so forth? Or would that need to change? If you're a student in the room and you lost your sight, would you be able to return to the same school in the fall? Would you be able to still track along with the same life goals? What are the things that you'd never see again? You know, we just came through the 4th of July holiday. If you lost your sight, you would never again see a spectacular fireworks show. You'd never see any of the other sights of summer and activities as we, in a couple of months, begin to move into 
autumn and here in the mountain state, it's just like a spectacular kaleidoscope, right, of leaves. You'd never, you'd never see that again. You'd never see a Thanksgiving table that was decorated in fine fashion, inviting you to the feast. You'd never see a, a spectacular lighting of a perfectly decorated Christmas tree. You would never see a thick winter snow that decorates the ground and the tree limbs as well in pure white. You would never see the breaking of spring with the deep greens and the sky blues and those great, great pristine days where the flowers start to pop up. You would never see that again. Think about relationally how blindness would impact you. You'd never be able to look into the face of the people that you love the most and love you the most again. If you're a single person sitting here this morning, you lost your eyesight, there's an increased chance that you may never marry. If you're married, you'd never be able to to look into the eyes of your spouse. If you're a parent, you'd never be able to watch your children grow up. You'd never see your grandchildren. You wouldn't even be able to operate your smartphone, right? Think about what blindness would do. Now, uh, I had a friend uh, who lived in Clarksburg when I was growing up, and he was blind. His name was David. And, and I'd talked to him before about his blindness. And David contended that because he was born blind, he actually had it better because uh, he had never known sight to begin with. And so his other senses became uh, just highly sensitive, and he was adaptable. And the other thing that David said was he was really blessed. He felt blessed to have been born in in this country, 20th century, moving into the 21st century because of all the programs and, and, and help that he could get to eventually become independent and to be able to hold down a job and to be, uh, you know, a contributor, to feel good about that. But what if you and I, what if we lost our eyesight, not today in 2016, but what about 2,000 years ago in the time of Jesus in Israel, what would you do? What could you do? For you to lose your eyesight meant that your opportunities for success would now be extremely, extremely limited. You couldn't go to school. You couldn't fish. You couldn't farm. You couldn't herd. You couldn't be involved with shipping, importing, exporting. You couldn't work in textiles. You couldn't be a skilled laborer. You couldn't be a carpenter, a carpenter, a stonemason. You, you couldn't be in security or the military. There was no, there was no options for any sort of social help, of welfare, social security, or anything like that. If this would happen to befall you two thousand years ago, ultimately. In order for you to make it, you would have to begin to assume the role of a beggar. You didn't have any other options. You'd have to somehow depend on the benevolence and kindness of those who lived in your context. 
And beggars during that day and age of Jesus, they were extremely skilled and shrewd people because their life depended on it day to day. But to be a blind beggar was an exceptional challenge because you were an easy mark. You were an easy target for other people to take advantage of or to, or to rob or to, or to lead astray. Uh, to be a blind beggar, you gave up mobility because you could accidentally wander into a very busy intersection or you could get in people's way who were trying to do commerce and you would quickly become a, a nuisance if not an endangerment to yourself and people who are a nuisance and a problem do not tend to get very charitable contributions and so in a very quick fashion you would be forced to learn a whole new skill set in a way that somehow hopefully could meet the needs that you have to just survive every day One of the things that you would immediately try to get for yourself that we know from history as a blind beggar is you would try to secure an oversized cloak. You'd, you'd want to have an oversized cloak. That would be a daily resource that you would use, a tool that you would use in collection. And it's not because you were trying to be like, a, you know, some Jedi or something. It's because uh, you would need that cloak in order to help you with your collections. A, uh, a blind person could not be up and running around. They would have to be stationary. And the, and the trick was to get close enough to a well-traveled place of foot traffic of people, close enough to where you can engage them verbally but not so close that you're in their way. And so you would find a place to situate yourself and then you would be seated and you'd sort of cross your legs sort of Native American style and you'd pull that cloak around you and tuck it down in the middle between your legs and you'd create a basket there that made it easy for people to sort of drop their coins in or toss their coins in. It made it easy for you to collect and it made it difficult for people to reach in and take from you without you knowing it and so you would definitely have a cloak and that's one of the first things that you would secure the other thing is you would begin to think through in your community where will you come into contact with the people who might have the most amount of discretionary money or change that they would part with so if you think about how we see this happening in our day and age, usually around the holidays we see different groups setting up collection areas and the, and the favorite places to do that is right outside of places of commerce, right? Whether it's uh, retail stores or grocery stores or, or whatever. And, and, the, and the people who are savvy, who know how to do good collection, they never hit you up when you're going in, Right? They may make eye contact with you and smile. They don't hit you up when you're going in, but when you come out, that's when they're asking for the collection because going in, you don't really know how much money you're going to spend. But on your way out, you've already spent your money and you know how much change you have. You know how much you can part with. And so in Jesus' day, if you lived in a town, you would think through where do I need to seat myself in order to interact with people that will have the most change and have the best idea of how much money they can actually give to my cause. Now, Jericho was a funny town. It was a little different than a lot of other towns in that day and age because Jericho's base population, we know, was probably only about 100 people during the time of Jesus. 
But at different times throughout the year, your hometown of Jericho, if that's where you lived as a blind person, would swell from like 100 people into the thousands of people. Because Jericho was positioned in a unique place where people who were traveling to Jerusalem coming from the north of the country, the south of the country, or the east of the country, they would ultimately file into Jericho because it was the last rest area before the final push to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was located about 15 miles west of Jericho, and it was an uphill climb. There was a change of vertical elevation of about 3,500 feet. I've been on that road in a bus you sit back the entire time. And so people would stop into Jericho to refresh, to tend to their pack animals, to mend their carts, to get some food for their kids, for their, let their wives stretch and relax for a little bit before they would ultimately head out the west side of that city onto the king's highway, and that was the direct path to Jericho. And you would know that as a beggar, and that would be the prime place for you to set up. Just right off the road, whereas people are making their way out of the city, headed to Jerusalem, you could interact with them. And they'd come out in their family groups or in their village groups, maybe a dozen at a time, no more than a couple of dozen. And it gave you and other beggars the opportunity to see what you could do to see if you could get any sort of contribution. And three times a year, there would be thousands of people that would come into Jericho because three times a year, all good Israelites were commanded to come to Jerusalem to, uh, to practice, to commemorate three holy high holidays of their faith. We know that in this particular setting that it, the Passover was coming. And so people were headed to Jerusalem for the Passover. And so you would want to be out bright and early on a day to catch very religious people on their way to present themselves before God because there's a good chance that they want to impress God along the way and you could get more contributions on that day. And so you came out and you positioned yourself where you always did, but something began to be uh, very unfamiliar for you on this day. Something began to become very wrong and something began to be very dangerous for you on this day. Because rather than people coming out small groups at a time or a dozen at a time, all of a sudden it was like a massive crowd of people, people numbering in the thousands, all decided that they were going to press out of the west side of this town through the gate that led to the king's highway. And if you could imagine people just spilling through that narrow opening, the city almost belching and spitting them out. They came through and they were just, they were all over the place. They, the volume spilled over into the road sideways. And all of a sudden you were not in a safe place, but you were in the middle of foot traffic. And as a blind person on the ground seated, you were now at risk to be kicked by an animal, by a mule, hit by a cart, tripped over by moms, by families. And can you imagine sitting there today with the noise of thousands of people moving together, trying to move at once through one location must have sounded like? And it happened too quick for you to do anything about it. And now, emotionally, 
Imagine what that must have felt like. Because what do you do? It's not safe for you to move. It's not safe for you to stay. It's loud. You maybe try to reach out to people to find out what is going on, what is happening here. And maybe somebody has the kindness and the presence of mind to look at you and say, hey, stay seated. It's just Jesus of Nazareth. He's headed to Jerusalem again. And you had heard about this Jesus of Nazareth and, and how crowds followed him continually. But every time he went to Jerusalem, it was, there was always, always conflict, always, always drama. There was always, always strong, strong teaching and the likelihood of miracles. And so he had attracted this unbelievable crowd. And as he is coming through, he is somewhere in the midst of this crowd that's moving by you. And it's noisy and it's anxious and it's stressing you out. And somehow over the middle of this crowd, you begin to hear a familiar voice. And it's a person you know because it's another fellow beggar. And as you listen, you begin to recognize the voice as one Bartimaeus. And somehow, over the clamor of this crowd, Bartimaeus is making himself known. Now, it would strike you that this other beggar is totally breaking character and breaking all the rules because he stands to really freak a lot of people out and to cause a lot of commotion. And so it strikes you that this person is yelling as loud as they are. But on top of that, his choice of words as an Israelite would automatically step in to your conscience. Because you've heard of this title, Son of David, before. You learned it when you were a little kid. You heard it taught different times in synagogue. The tradition of your Hebrew roots you recognize that God had promised long ago in the Garden of Eden after the sin of Adam and Eve that God was going to send to the world a rescuer who would make right that which had gone wrong. And this rescuer would not only deliver people from their sins and rescue them from their bondage, but also this rescuer would be able to make people, human beings, one with their creator God again. And in one of the most precious promises found in the Old Testament scriptures, God promised David, Israel's most popular king, the shepherd king who you loved and adored as a good Israelite, God promised David that this rescuer would come from his lineage. And from that point forward, one of the names of this liberator, this rescuer, this Christ, this Messiah, was the son of David. And as you were listening to Bartimaeus yell this title, son of David, son of David, your mind began to go back to some of the 
the teachings, you would think about what else have you heard about this son of David. And, and the great prophet Isaiah had some things that he shared that would help people recognize the son of David when he came. And here were a couple of the things that the prophet Isaiah pointed out. In Isaiah 35, it says that the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Isaiah goes on in chapter 61 and he says that this rescuer, this son of David, would not only proclaim good news to the poor, but he would proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And you, just like Bartimaeus, had heard the rumors about Jesus and what had been circulating about him, the miracles that he was performing. But you, just like Bartimaeus, had no sight. You couldn't go beyond the regular context of the city walls. So you couldn't take off on a journey to find Jesus, to track him down, to see for yourself, to see if, if it might be true what the people were saying about him, his miraculous power. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the rescuer? And after sitting and thinking through all of this in your mind and wondering if this was what was happening, that at this point, this person had now come to your location and was passing by in this group so close to you, you're brought back into reality because here is your friend Bartimaeus and he is losing his mind trying to get the attention of Jesus. Now, do you know how loud you've got to yell in a crowd of people to be heard? Have you ever been to like a Mountaineer game on a game day Saturday in the fall? There's 60,000 people. You can scream your head off and not be heard just a few feet over to the right or the left or in front of you. And Bartimaeus here, no doubt, was summoning every bit of vocal fortitude that he had. And was using every bit of breath to plead, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the Bible records that Jesus heard him, and catch this, he stopped. Have you ever been in a large crowd of people traveling by foot and you're all walking together and you've, you've sort of settled into a pace and everything's normal and then all it takes is just for one person to stop in the middle of that group? What happens? Right? Every, the, everything is thrown off. The momentum, the equilibrium, people are bumping into each other. And, and it causes people to, to call to attention what's, what's going on. The conversations all stop probably right at that moment. And then all of a sudden over everybody you hear this blind beggar pleading, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then Jesus does the most peculiar thing. Jesus looks at those who are following him, and he says, call to him. Now, Jesus could have stopped and walked right over to Bartimaeus. I guarantee you he had no problem finding him, right? Or Jesus could have yelled back to Bartimaeus, 
I'm over here. Come to me. But Jesus used the same people who a moment earlier were shushing this person as a nuisance to involve them in the miracle that was about to take place. And so they called to the man, take heart, get up, he's calling you. Now, if you were Bartimaeus in that situation, what would you do? What would you do as a blind person, as a blind beggar, and Jesus had heard your plea and had now invited you to come to him? Well, the scripture says that Bartimaeus did two incredible things. The first thing it says is that he threw off his cloak. He didn't fold it and leave it to come back to it. He didn't hand it to somebody and say, hey, hold this for me. He didn't put it under his arm and take it with him. He threw off his cloak cloak. I find that interesting because that cloak had been his main mechanism of survival. And somehow in the presence of Jesus's invitation, he knew that his life would change in a way that he would no longer need that as a coping mechanism, as a survival mechanism. I think there's rich symbology in that. That's a rich, rich symbol today that as we come to Jesus He's always asking us to let loose of the things that we're depending upon that are of this earth and to trust him. And the second thing it says here that Bartimaeus did was that he sprang. He sprang. <laughs> okay, so have you ever sat cross-legged for any longer than like, let's say, 10 minutes? Do you know what happens to your legs when you sit like that? They fall asleep, yes? And so I want you to see the picture of this blind man scrambling to his feet, throwing his cloak aside with, oh, I believe his legs were asleep, and he is running full steam towards where he thinks Jesus is. And he is stumbling and bumbling, and people are trying to guide him verbally. And in my mind, it's just one of the most beautiful pictures of our Lord as I think Jesus allowed those people to guide him right in and I think he ran headlong into Jesus and Jesus embraced him and stood him up in my mind I can see him putting his hands on his shoulders standing him up right in front of him face to face and then Jesus asked the question what do you want me to do for you and without hesitation Bartimaeus said I want to recover my sight. And then it just happened. It just happened. Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. Immediately he recovered his sight. So folks, leave your, leave your blindfolds on, but I just want you to see if you're, if you're, trekking, if you're trekking with me here, okay? Um, faith. Who was Bartimaeus' faith object? It was Jesus, right? So check, first box. Okay, uh, was his knowledge of his faith object correct? 
Yes, it was. Son of David, right? Check. Okay. Uh, And then did he put his faith into action? Yes, he did. Check, right? When the invitation came, he sprang at it. And I want you to see that what happened in this miracle was just grace being ignited. It's what Bartimaeus needed in his life to move from simply surviving to begin to thriving. That's that's the amazing part about grace when it's ignited in our life. It takes you from a place of being a victim to a place of victory, to a place of being a champion, of being more than a conqueror in Christ who has loved us. And it not only says here that he immediately recovered his sight. And just think what that would be like. You've been blinded for all this time, and the moment that your eyesight is restored, you have the grace-filled eyes of Jesus looking right into your eyes. Man, what, what would that be like? Can I just tell you that I think that's going to happen for all of us when we transition from this life over to the other side? I think we're going to find Jesus right there looking at us. And Jesus said, go your way. And it says, Bartimaeus followed him on the way. He did. He left his old life behind and made the way of Jesus his way. Now, scholars believe that Bartimaeus was in Jerusalem during the Passover. He saw Jesus betrayed, handed over in an unjust trial. He saw him crucified. And many scholars believe that he was one of the witnesses that saw him in resurrected form. They think he was there and saw him ascend because many scholars believe that he ended up being a powerful church leader in the early church. And that's the reason that Mark specifically points out who he is and who his dad was in a small community so you could do a fact check on it. Now, before I let you take off your blindfolds, let me ask you something. Where are you in this story? Where do you see yourself in this story? Do you need to be released from something today that is holding you back, that's holding you down? Do you realize there were more than just one beggar on that road that morning, probably more than just one blind beggar on that road that morning, yet it was Bartimaeus that got the miracle? What do you need? And can you today muster the faith of making Jesus the center of understanding his willingness to ignite grace in your life. Will you, will you act on that today? Maybe, maybe you're here, and, and maybe who you are in the story is you are a follower of Jesus. And the main people who you've come to believe are a nuisance to Jesus are the ones that Jesus really wants to interact with. And sometimes Jesus comes to an abrupt halt and it throws your life off. And maybe for the first time, Jesus is saying, pay attention to me. I have someone I want you to call to me. 
And maybe CBC, that's the journey of the church here, is that as followers of Jesus, he has people that he wants you to call to him. You can take your blindfolds off. So as the band comes, here's what I would say. What's your cloak? What is it that Jesus wants you to throw aside because you don't need it anymore? He will be sufficient for you. The Bible says God's grace is sufficient for us. Let this morning be a moment of you in your heart springing to Jesus and leave whatever it is that you've come to depend upon for your welfare, for your wellness in your life, leave it behind. Maybe for the first time this morning, uh, the idea of life transformation grace is hitting you and you realize, I have never met Jesus personally. I would love to introduce you to him this morning. Just please come, come see me. Come see me right now. Come see me during the worship. Come see me afterwards. I would love to introduce you to him this morning. But as a church, I really want to challenge you guys because Clarksburg Baptist Church has a rich heritage of evangelism, of reaching into some of the more marginal places in culture and having the ability to call people at the right moment out of their desperation to a new life. And that's your destiny. That is your calling. That has never changed since 1848, right? I saw that this morning up here. And so maybe this time as we wrap up this morning is not just an individual challenge, but maybe it's collectively together saying we will do this as we follow him.